keep it open there. Uh, this is our second last week of, of looking at 2 Peter. Oh, I've really been enjoying 2 Peter. I'm not sure about you, but uh, it's a short letter, which is good. I, I like things that are short, uh, but it, it's wonderful, isn't it? Why, why don't we pray as we look at this section? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak. Uh, we thank you that you spoke. We praise you that you spoke creation into being. We praise you that you speak salvation into existence. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, but that you tell us who you are and what you're like and what it means to to live for you. And Lord, we pray that you would keep on using your word in our lives for your renown. Amen. I wonder if you have the second coming of Jesus in your mind. Uh, if not, why? Why not? Maybe you don't trust in Jesus at this point and you're not sure about the resurrection of Jesus and so therefore you're not sure about uh, his return. Or, or perhaps your mind is just on other things. Uh, the prom, if you know you're in year 12, that's uh, or the exams that, that are coming up. Maybe for you, the mind is on the work difficulties, health problems, relational challenges, your quest for self fulfillment in the here and now that you're trying to squeeze as much out of something or another, uh, something out of this life. Your mind may just be on uh, so many other things. And we might question, I mean, this is, this is what we question, isn't it? Isn't it just the eccentric fringe, uh, you know, the weirdos who are on about the second coming of Jesus, those people who often seem to have some prediction about exactly when he's going to return, uh, and they have some bizarre YouTube channel that often goes along with it. And while that may be so... The return of Jesus is also the subject of the passage that Ethan just read for us. And it's a reality that Christians, according to Peter, should have clear in mind. Just notice as we begin in chapter 3, there's a significant shift in tone. Chapter 2, if you were here last week, quite heavy. Uh, it was Peter outlining the methods, the motives and the message of the false teachers. They were secretly introducing dodgy teaching. It was exploitation with fabricated story. That They were motivated by greed. They were even denying the authority of Jesus himself. In chapter 2, Peter showed that while it may look like those false teachers are getting away with it for a time, and they may even be gathering a, a greater following, their future, said Peter, will be destruction. And he argued from Old Testament history, giving three examples and then concluding in verse 9 of chapter 2 that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Think Noah and Lot. But he also now knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Chapter 2, heavy. 
As we come to chapter 3, there's a shift in the field. That day of judgment, it's still on view, Jesus' return. But Peter begins by saying, you notice, dear friends, or beloved, as some translations have it, that there's a warmth to his address. He uses language that expresses the brother-sister affection of being a part of God's family together, the virtue of mutual affection that he told us to be growing in back in chapter 1. Just look at that verse with me. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Now, it seems reasonable uh, to assume that Peter's first letter was 1 Peter and this his second letter. And Peter, noticed in this verse, he reiterates why he writes and therefore he, he gives us clarity on what we should be seeking to get out of his letter. The author's intent. What was it? A reminder, remember, remember, remember. A reminder to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. It's a great contrast to the false teachers, isn't it, who are stimulating the church to that which is unwholesome as they modelled lives of arrogance and greed and, and immorality. So even the original reader, even in the context of false teaching, we can treat this rather heavy letter as a, as a warm reminder, remember, 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 to, to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. And thinking, to state the obvious, leads to doing. When we get to verse 2, having already shown us the confidence that we can have in the the Apostle's eyewitness account back in chapter 1, and the confidence that we can have in the the prophetic message, that is the Old Testament, back in chapter 1, Peter again, remember, remember, he reminds us, he points us to the Bible in verse 2. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. And the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. What, what are you thinking on, says Peter? What's dominating? What are you dwelling on? I want you to recall the Bible. The Bible to mind. Uh, Psalm 1 is, uh, the good life is described in Psalm 1 positively by the person, the one meditating on God's word day and night. That's the source of human flourishing, according to the Bible. Living on God's promise. Treating God's word as as our food. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he fight temptation? With God's word, the Bible. Recall the words of the prophet, says Peter. Recall the command of of Jesus, says Peter. But what specifically? You know, there's a lot in there. Uh, Is he referring to to a particular theme? Uh, He doesn't tell us. Uh, Though, given the context, it it could be the many and varied references to the day of the Lord, the new creation. 
Jesus' second coming. And there are so many of those in both the Old and New Testament. I really love the scene. You're reading the book of Acts and you get to chapter 17. I really love it. It's Paul's speech at the Areopagus. He says, people of Athens. It's how he starts his speech. And he finishes by saying in verse 30 of Acts 17, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that is Jesus. He has given proof of this judgment day by raising Jesus from the dead. It's interesting, isn't it? What's the proof of the second coming? Well, Paul argues in Acts 17, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he's going to come again. Recall the scriptures, says Peter, warmly addressing us with a reminder to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. Interestingly, I reckon at least, when when Paul finishes that speech in, in Acts chapter 17, some scoff or they sneered, it reads in the NIV, how ridiculous they're thinking that Jesus is going to return. And Peter says to us this afternoon, uh, you can expect this too. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, above all, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised ever since our ancestors died. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In the last days, scoffers will come, says Peter. And the Bible writers are really clear that we're in the last days now. Uh, That period between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. The last days, we're in them. And so when someone from the eccentric fringe says, we're in the last days, we can agree. That's a good thing to agree on, isn't it? Yes, we are in the last days, just as they were back in the first century. Dave Burge says, mockery of God and his people is not new, well-grounded, novel, or clever. It's an ancient practice which never ends well. You can be incorrect about a great many things without always suffering terribly for it. But to be wrong about the living God, as it is sometimes said, Jesus is the wrong person to be wrong about. Notice what underlies the scoffing. Uh, the, The false teachers... They ditched this idea of the second coming of Jesus. Because why? Because they wanted to. (laughs) It's not for lack of evidence, but that I'd rather do it my way. They were following, Peter says, their own sinful desires. You may have noticed that it can often work like this. Uh, We may decide that we want to do something or think a certain way So we'll change our theology, our understanding of God, trying to make God agree with us instead of us agreeing with him. 
And we see this happening in churches all, all over the place. It's a constant temptation, isn't it? As the world differs from what the Bible says, we're tempted to just change it a little or even angle it slightly differently. But Peter says, remember the Scriptures. Remember the Bible. The truth is to shape our desires and not the other way around. Just because I feel so strongly about something or another doesn't mean it's right. The false teachers controlled by desire, they deny that God will intervene to judge the world. And the argument, their argument, may feel compelling. I am... By the way, there's a kebab shop down here in Bagara now. It's been there a little while. A few people have eaten there. A couple of nods. I I put my order in uh, via the phone on Friday uh, this this week, and the guy on the end of the phone, he recognised my voice. Oh, it's Jono. Uh, I've eaten there a few times now. Um, And he he knew my order. Uh, There's there's a certain predictability to my kebab order uh, now. It's something of the false teacher's argument. that There's a predictability about how the world operates. Everything goes on as, as it did since the beginning, is their thinking. There's no historical precedent that they say to suggest that God will judge in a climactic kind of a, a way. And maybe they, saw, they believe in God. They're in the church. Maybe they say, saw God like the clockmaker who sort of created the world and set it in place and then he's he's distant and disinterested, setting things in motion to be left alone. But to say this, to, to have this argument, you must be sure you didn't miss anything from the past. And so Peter picks up their own argument, the historical argument, and he says they deliberately forget verse 5, Willful amnesia is deliberate forgetfulness, isn't it? They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In verse 6, he points to Noah's flood. We're talking history. He says Noah's flood in those days, which came about by God's word as well. And therefore, verse 7, he speaks of the fire which is to come for the judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You want to look at history, says Peter. Well, let's look at history. And you notice that he keeps on pointing back to God's word. History says God does act and his word tells us that he will act again in judgment. It's not the most stylish thing, though, is it? You know, the second coming of Jesus. It's not a topic on the forefront of of my mind, to be honest, when I'm playing old man soccer down here on a Wednesday night until last week. It's not stylish. So we might be tempted to just deliberately forget or at least just put it on the back burner living like he's not going to return and therefore trying to get as much out of the here and now as we possibly can. It's 
been so long. Do you, do you struggle with this? It's been so long. Uh, when's he coming? The, the years roll on, on and on. It's, it's easy to lose focus. Well, assuming that we're struggling with this, uh, look at verse 8 and 9. Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In verse 8, Peter quotes Psalm 90. What, what is the eternal God's perspective on time? It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Oh, I can't believe how quickly the years are beginning to go by now that I'm getting a bit older. Now I'm trimming my nose hair. With, um, what, what, what must it be like for, for the Lord who sits out of time and space? Peter says the Lord's patience means salvation. Now is the time of opportunity. And can I say this afternoon, if you haven't already come to to him in repentance and faith, do it while you still can. Will you recognise the urgency of remembering, recalling what is true is the second coming of Jesus on your mind. We're reading this book uh, in our family at the moment. We have our family devotions after, after dinner, and P- Patricia St. John writes these stories that sort of um, help you th- reflect on a, a truth from the Bible. Uh, and lots of them are you know, true stories that, that she's uh, picked up over the years. And she tells this story of, of two missionary women on a bus heading back to their village in the early hours of the morning. They were racing home so that they could get there in time for some some kids who were arriving at nine that they were going to run some classes for. And they were returning from a late night where they were giving out medical supplies and sharing Bible stories with whoever was interested so completely exhausted, they squeezed themselves onto this packed uh, bus and they were, they were getting, as they were getting close to the spot where they needed to get off, they asked the driver to stop. This is our stop, mate, you know? Uh, and he refused. He said, no, um, uh, well, I'll stop at the next bridge, uh, he said. But that meant that they would have to walk for miles, they'd be late, They're exhausted. They put the pressure on him, but he wouldn't change his mind. One of them prayed, oh, Lord, we need to get home, and it's getting so hot. Please make him stop. He refused. Uh, Annoyed, they were eventually dropped off at at this bridge at the bottom of a steep hill, a seven-mile walk back to their their village. And as they were dropped off, a, a woman appeared And she said, are you the English nurse? Yes, one of these women was a nurse. Yes, came the answer. The woman presented these two women with a sick child with puffed up eyes, really sick. They said, how did you know to come here? 
the woman said, well, last night I knew my child was getting worse. I, I slept with a, a heavy heart. Uh, as I slept, I had a dream. A, a man came to me dressed in white in this dream and said, take that child to the English nurse. I said in my dream, I don't know where she lives, nor do I know who she is. The man in, in white answered, rise at dawn and go down to the main road by the bridge and there you'll find her waiting for you. She'll tell you what to do. The woman with the baby said to these two women, so I came and you were here. They were able to care for the child. The child recovered. They were also able to share the gospel with an entire village. These women rushing home. We've got to get home. We don't want to be late. Yeah, God's timing is not always ours, is it? As we wait for Jesus' return, as the years go by, he's not slow in keeping his promise. But now is the time, the opportunity for more people to come to faith. This is a unique period in salvation history, isn't it? After the ascension of Jesus and waiting for his return. Someone said the delay gave the false teachers the opportunity to mock the Lord's word, but it gave Peter the opportunity to proclaim the word so that others had opportunity to be rescued. So it should lead us to a patient urgency. If we're tempted to put the second coming of Jesus on the back burner, just look at verse 10. Uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief any moment. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's a striking picture, isn't it? Judgment day. And while our human law courts can make mistakes due to lack of evidence and, and lack of power, on the day which is to come, when Jesus returns to judge, nothing will be concealed from his sight. Everything that has been done will be laid bare before him. With absolute knowledge and power, he will enact perfect justice. Are you ready? Do you have the, the second coming of Jesus in your mind at the moment? Remember, 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 says uh, Peter. Let's pray that with God's help we'd remember that we might wait with a patient urgency. Let's, let's pray. Our loving Father, we, we thank you that we, you give us something to remember, that you show us uh, in the scriptures that we can have great confidence in the second coming of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the multitude of, of passages in the Old Testament that point forward to his coming and his return. And we thank you, Lord, for the, that trustworthy eyewitness account. We saw him. He ascended. 
He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Lord, help us to be a people who are ready. And we pray too that you would help us acknowledge this unique time in salvation history. That it is opportunity for salvation. And so we pray, Lord, that as we have the second coming of Jesus on our minds, that you would uh, move us to speak of him. And we pray, Lord, that while, while there will be plenty who scoff, we pray that there would be many more who come to know you as Lord and Saviour. And we pray all of this in Jesus' great name. Amen.